You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic. Welcome to episode, uh, well, I don't know. I don't know when this episode is going to come out yet. It's either uh, going to be 54 or 56. 54 or 56, so we'll leave it at that. But I do know uh, that yesterday was my birthday Happy and I'm birthday. now the oldest I've ever been. So. <laughs> no, you're actually older today than you were yesterday. Yeah, and then by the time people are listening, I'll even be older you're, then. Yeah, so. yeah. But, um, but yeah, one of the things we've really stressed on this podcast a lot is how important native plants are for healthy ecosystems and how we need to make that circle bigger. If we want to make an impact and make the planet healthier overall, we need to get more people interested in native plants and not really hold them that super high standard. Um, we just need more people who are dipping their toe in and starting to, to mess around. So well, one of the things native plants uh, often lead to is clean water and clean water often leads to better fishing so today we're taking a slight deviation from the plant train and uh, and gonna talk about some fish yeah so. I'm, I'm really excited about that you know I love when we deviate from our normal circles and and you need to do that you know when we started we really focused on native plants and then we realized you know a lot of things revolve around native plants but how important soil is and how important all these mm -hmm. issues are and, and so many organizations are on different sides of the fences but we're all working towards the same goal so i kind of like when we we show that other side of the fence that people aren't thinking about that's where we learn the most you know i'm, I'm always mm -hmm. up for learning more and it, it kind of it's changed our perspective as we've gone along along so I'm really excited to kind of get this perspective. Um, so yeah, and I'm also really excited, mostly because friend, while well, you, I don't think you know today's guest. You didn't know his name up until a I couple minutes ago. I, you forgot. Well, wait, but, now he's hearing that. Yeah. That's, that's but, sorry. Uh, but I've quickly become like a really big fan of his, and um, I've been a fan of the brand he he represents for a couple of years now. Um, but uh, so I'm like super excited to have him on because I'm like a fanboy. And I love <laughs> a lot time. of our listeners unknowingly knowing that we were having this guest have reached out about some of these podcasts and say, yeah. hey, you know what? I'm I'm not a fisherman or I'm not a hunter and I'm actually a vegan, but I appreciate mm -hmm. the viewpoints of this. And I like hearing, you know, it, I'm trying not to be closed minded. I'm trying to understand. And I, and I do understand, yeah. even though that's not my my personal choice i get it yeah so that's why we want to take this little like i said slight deviation um but with that welcome the senior fishing editor from uh meat eater is it meat eater inc or is this meat eater we'll just call it meat eater yeah meat eater works <laughs> yeah. but uh and that's uh joe cermelli who's uh before we get really into the meat of things we were talking a little bit from the pre-show about how you are originally from new jersey now you live right across the river um we do have to ask one really important question first, and that is pork roll or Taylor ham? Oh, it's pork roll. <laughs> okay. no, there is no argument. That is what it is. The box of Taylor says Taylor pork roll. Yeah. Even that yeah. is pork roll. So yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm, I'm just far south enough, but as far as I'm concerned, it's yeah. absolutely There may roll. be a bias because you said you grew up just outside of Trenton, and I think that's that main that's the mecca that's the mecca right there, that's yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Pork roll. that's where it was invented you have know? you ever been to i don't even know if it's still there there used to be a pork roll place in allentown new jersey it oh was, yeah 
Yeah, I don't even know if that's still there. But. It, it is still there. They they make their own. I forget I forget the name of the place, but uh, that's like a special treat. You don't it, get it from the grocery store. If I happen to be out that way and he's open, absolutely. Oh, oh yeah, that was that yeah. was always. Have you had that yeah. though? I don't think I have. You have so, to go there. It's not that far away. Well, yeah, it's it's pork roll everything around here. So, yeah, yeah. that was. We can continue now because if you said the other answer, I, we <laughs> might have had to shut it off early. All important pork roll. Yeah, yeah. But, but as we mentioned, you're the senior fishing editor for Meat Eater. Um, for those of you, or for those listeners who, who don't know, what, why do you love fishing so much that you have a career that's all revolving around fishing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty simple answer, actually. I mean, I just grew up doing this. My grandfather's, my, my dad, um, I was sort of born into that. In fact, mm-hmm. you guys are, are local, so maybe you even remember, um, Brunswick Sports and Hardware was a tackle shop in Trenton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. My grandparents owned that. Oh, uh, no, oh wow. Grew up there, you know, packing worms after school. So we had a, <laughs> a bait and tackle shop in the family. Uh, of course, they sold that. The store stayed open for a long time, but they sold that when I was three. Um, my, my grandparents on my dad's side always had a boat down in Barnegat Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, I mean, that's one of the, the, the sort of the struggles that, that hunt, hunting and fishing face now is that most of the guys who are hardcore about it, they were lucky enough to sort of be born into that and started doing that when they were young. My, I have a, um, a six and a three-year-old. I take them fishing all the time. You know, one of the challenges in these sports is how do you get people that didn't come up that way interested later? And, yeah. um, you know, you, you had mentioned about how you'll have people, you know, who might be vegan but are open-minded about hearing other perspectives. Really, Meat Eater has has been sort of a champion of that we it's, it was sort of founded on this idea of, of people not understanding hunting mm-hmm. and following the hunt all the way through it's not just about a trophy it's about yeah. the whole process which continues right through to the kitchen so the whole ethos is sort of this this conversion of people who maybe did not yeah grow up with this yeah, yeah. And, and you know we've had other we've had um national wild turkey federation on we've had qdma on mm-hmm. uh who, what was the other group we had on didn't we have oh ducks unlimited ducks unlimited yep. mm-hmm. you know tom's a hunter i'm not a hunter but i'm not a, opposed to it like i understand and appreciate sure. just you know hunting something i didn't grow up i grew up in a suburban area and no one i knew hunted it was just right. not something mm-hmm. from what i understand around here up in the 80s your, your school had the first day of hunting off I oh think. yeah yeah that yeah. was like a day off it was you know there were there were gun racks in the back of the trucks and mm-hmm. yep. and people had that day off so it's you know for me fishing i have very fond memories of fishing my my parents had me later in their lives i wasn't an accident but they had me <laughs> <laughs> they, they they had me later in life and my father was older and a you know, like a, a grizzled war vet, and one thing that he loved it, he wasn't able to be active. He had bad knees, and but mm-hmm. we did a lot of. We belonged to. I don't know if you're familiar with the Penn Warner uh, Fishing Club that was oh, over in right. Tullytown. Yeah, down the street from where I live. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we were we were lifelong members of the Penn Warner uh, Fishing and Hunting Club, and my dad was a a lazy fisherman. Just he liked to bobber. He liked to sit down and have a beer and listen to the Phillies game, and that's how we spent our weekends. Is is just sitting on the lake. And, and fishing so I have very fond memories of that yeah. you know and it's you know so my my fishing perspective is even different from a lot of my friends that went in the bay or the ocean or or different things you know I didn't know anything other than a bobber we never used <laughs> we never even used a you know um 
lore a uh, lore yeah 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 so it was <laughs> you know but it's you know and that's what i've taught my kids and they've expanded on you know because they have friends that do other things so my my kids have fond memories of that too i mean we get to fish right here on the on mm-hmm. the nursery so well it's interesting you say that because most people start out with a worm and a bobber right yeah. that's how most people start yeah. out fishing some people that's what they do and yeah. that's cool but like even for me i fish a million different ways i've been all over the place but I always say that if you ever fall out of love with watching a bobber go under, like fishing in its most simplistic <laughs> form, then something's gone wrong. Yeah. Because even now, like I will still go buy a bucket of shiners and bobber fish because that's what I feel like doing. Yeah. That's still fun. So if yeah. you if you lose that that love of the bobber, if you're like too good for that, you're missing the point of fishing. So I'm I'm all about a good bobber session. Yeah. I mean we you know and what we love about fishing is that it ties into everything else like if you're hunting or if you're fishing a lot of those healthy communities in order for you to be able to do that it has to be a healthy community um mm-hmm. and that depends on for fishing it depends on the buffers the um the quality of the water has that have you seen from your childhood spending a lot of time on the water have you seen a decline in just the natural areas that that you fished in or a decline in what you've caught or the the size of the fish or, or well, yeah, I mean, all of the above, really. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have to be sort of a little bit cautious, but I'm, I'm also going to tell it like it is. Like, you know, growing up right outside of Trenton, I used to spend a lot of time on Stony Brook. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, runs through Princeton and Amwell. And, um, you know, in the last few years, uh, Mercer County Park has bought up a lot of land in mm-hmm. the Lawrenceville area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And on one hand, you see the good in that they've made manicured trails and they've made it very nice and very accessible. Personally, I look at that and go, you, you've taken the wild right yeah. out of this. You mm-hmm. know, you've removed a lot of, of, of trees and cleared a lot of uh, areas along the streams that I grew up fishing. And I guess for me growing up with this, I like bushwhacking. I didn't yeah. mind, you know, trudging through sticker bushes to get where I wanted to go. And what you see in this immediate area a lot now is is sort of this um, making nature very easy access, which has mm-hmm. benefits. I won't deny that, but I look at it, for, you know, for for my kids, and it's like, where will you go when you have your driver's license around here? That like you can trick yourself into feeling like you're still out in the woods and you're mm-hmm, still yeah. away. That's I think that's sort of going away a little bit. And in terms of the fishing being um, you know, better or worse than when I was a kid. I, I don't want to say that it's it's worse because it's really not. But the bottom line is, there are more people out fishing now yeah. than mm-hmm. ever before. The pandemic had a, played a huge role in that. But yeah. e- even that aside, um, you know, with social media, more people get interested. And on one hand, that's my line of work is making mm-hmm. people interested in fishing. Yeah. But when you look at an area like Central Jersey, all of Jersey, really, that was already a pretty crowded state, you know, those. So is the fishing really worse? No. Is it harder to catch fish or bigger fish in places that when I was growing up, you could catch five pound bass pretty routinely? Sure. I don't know how much that's environmental as just pressure. You know, fish Mm -hmm. do respond to pressure over time. So, yeah, I mean, I've seen I've. I've seen this this area change in, in ways that I don't like. Um, I've also seen things swing around. I mean, if you look at the Delaware River, 
that's that's home water to me. I've been fishing that yeah. since I was a little kid, and it's pretty fascinating river. A lot of people don't realize it's the last major undammed river hmm. on the East Coast. That I did can, not know that. Well, yeah, and so it can flow freely from. Um, it, it's dammed in the reservoirs way up in upstate New York, but once the branches come down, the main stem of that river is completely undammed for over three hundred yeah. miles. Uh, it's cleaner than it's, it's ever been. That had a lot of historic pollution, pro- uh, historical pollution problems around Philadelphia, that are are, are way less than they were. As so, a, as a kid, I was told not to to dip my feet in the <laughs> Delaware River. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I I've, I fish that almost weekly. Have my kids out there swimming. Um, so I mean, that's an example of one that I, I've I've seen sort of improve. Uh, yeah. But that suffers from from fishing pressure too. The mm-hmm. river is in great great shape. Is the fishing as uh, fast and furious all the time as it was when I was a kid? No, it's not. But again, I just think that's a product of more people being out there and being interested mm-hmm. in fishing. And 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 places change too that you can't that have effects downstream as well. Like where Penn Warner is or was most of it is a landfill now so it's mm-hmm. a lot of that land was bought and it's a landfill right on the water which which changes it opens it up for our listeners that don't know and i'm going to say this in a simplistic way and if i'm wrong please correct me but like for water it is really beneficial to have that buffer because the shade cools it down like in a healthy stream should be slower moving and more shallow and i think when you remove that buffer and you open it up it's it's hotter it runs faster and it's more incised so you get like a faster moving yep you know so it changes everything as soon as you start removing the native plants and the native buffer away from it and that's going to affect everything else downstream so when yeah that landfill comes in and they they wipe everything off the water that that has more effects than just mm-hmm. that area it affects the the water quality the fishing and what's downstream Sure, and that's a major issue. That that's that's the entire country. I mean, you yeah. you look at even some of the streams out in the Rockies, out west. You know, cattle rancher comes in, he needs grazing land, so they clear, uh, you know, a huge chunk of river that's now waving out in the open with with no buffer. You're absolutely right. I mean, the right yeah. kind of stream that can cause the temperature to fluctuate, yeah. that can um, stop, you know, insect life that would yeah. normally mm-hmm. hatch along the stream and feed fish. Um, you and know, you have the and, nitrogen runoff from the the farm too. Nothing capturing that. I, I was going to say, you know, fertilizer. That's 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 another huge issue that we we deal with here too. You know, everything is treated, and a lot of the the waters in in Jersey, they're running through private property. They're running mm-hmm. behind homes, and you have to factor that in. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when I think of the places that I appreciated fishing as a kid, it was the ones where you couldn't see anyone else fishing. <laughs> like well, it felt like that's what yeah. everybody wants. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, you know that you were there by yourself, like alone in in nature and enjoying it. So, and and that seems, you know, one thing I didn't even factor in until you mentioned it was just the amount of people fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I appreciate people are enjoying that natural resource, but you also have to protect and take care of that natural resource. Um, so, we, I know Tom wanted. One of the things Tom wanted to ask was some of your favorite places to fish, but I feel like that's something that you may not want to give away. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not going to give you directions yeah. on the exact stretch, but um, you, yeah, uh, we, we were actually looking for like GPS coordinates yeah. and, and all that. <laughs> so, do you guys mean locally or or? It could be broadly? anywhere. No, broadly, yeah. Well, so one thing. Um, 
that I've always kind of prided myself on. So I've been with Meat Eater for a little over a year, but I was the fishing editor at Field and Stream for 10 years mm, okay. prior to that. And um, I've gotten to travel. I've just been been blessed with that opportunity and never took that for granted. I mean, some of the places I've, I've gotten to fish, I never, if you told me when I was a teenager, you're going to end up in the Amazon and you're going to end up here, I would have been like, you're, you're crazy. There's no way. But I've always really been a fan um, of home waters, mm -hmm. no matter what that means for you or where you live you know it's very easy to say well i want to go here i want to go there i'd love to go there but i don't fish around here this stinks like I, there's yeah. nothing good around here and i've always been such a huge proponent of embracing what you have and i always sort of looked at it like you're the real deal as an angler when you're just as passionate about fishing what you have close to home mm -hmm. as you are about making these trips yeah. and going to a you know trophy destination or whatever so um it's funny people over the years have given me a lot of flack it's like oh you're from jersey like that's the least outdoorsy place <laughs> in the entire world eh, jersey but if of all the places i've been I, i've yet to find i found a lot of places i'd love to have a second home but nowhere else i'd rather live because mm -hmm. despite the overcrowding the price and all that we have so many fishing options within say four or five hours in any direction yeah. of yeah. jersey we have it's just there's there's nowhere else that has the kind of variety so locally i mean if you really want to drill it down to the places that that are sort of my favorites here i grew up fishing barnegat bay i mm -hmm. fished all up and down the coast but barnegat bay holds a special place in my heart and that's more than just fishing that's growing up crabbing there and clamming mm -hmm. there um delaware river that's right down the street from me uh, you know and i'd be i'd be lost without these places you know this is this is my weekend this is you know i mow the grass mm -hmm. too on the weekend and want to yeah. go fish somewhere um and there's actually i think people are surprised to hear that there's actually some really good wild trout fishing in new jersey mm -hmm. um you know in, in the northwest corner a lot of the rivers okay. up there have, have wild fish in them are you gonna stick 20 inches like you would on the upper delaware no but they're beautiful wild fish and i've always really enjoyed sort of showing people all that in fact i just launched a a, a month ago a new video series on the mm -hmm. called b-side fishing thomas and, actually told me about that yeah 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 and you know the first season four episodes in the first season were all based in new jersey mm -hmm. Because the whole idea of B-side, these sort of overlooked, you know, underappreciated fisheries, man, New Jersey has a lot of those. Yeah. But it also just happened to work out because of the pandemic. We weren't really traveling and flying all over yeah. in 2020. So it made sense mm -hmm. to to stay local. And that's really Jersey kicked off this show because there are so many surprising things that, that people elsewhere wouldn't even expect to have. Here. Yeah. And that was something that well, I've really enjoyed watching that B-Side Fishing Series on YouTube, and I recommend if uh, if anyone's interested in, in fishing, go and watch that, because it really does show a lot of these like hidden gems in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, first, because you had the pickerel episode in the Pine Barrens, which I grew up doing all the time. We had a yeah. little cabin in the Pines, and we just, literally, you're cutting through brush and finding these little pocket ponds, and then you're catching these giant pickerel, and there was awesome. Uh, you had the the mahi episode, which is something I've wanted to do for years, and just haven't had the guts to take my boat out that far. <laughs> and then, but the one that I think Fran would be interested in is how you're catching pike in was it the Passaic River, On the which was like wow. a very polluted river yeah. in in northern New Jersey. Yep. yep. Yeah, it's you know if if you think about New Jersey, you have where you can ocean fish, bay fish, you know through the 
the the pine barrens mm-hmm. up in in the the mountainous areas of the northwest there there's so many different we we have so many different resources within a small space which like you were saying like so much is so close and you're not that far outside yeah. of upstate new york or, or maryland mm-hmm. you can go fishing chesapeake bay really quickly um which which i love that and so there i mean that's a lot of special places what what would you say what makes these special what's the best habitat that you find like from all these different places fishing where where you love what what's the best habitat for for fish for fishing well i'm really not sure you can you can answer that with with one sort of habitat it's it's all sort of based on on what kind of fish uh you're targeting but just to to hit a few like we would mention the wild trout yeah and you were talking about buffer zones wild trout would not exist in in this state without those buffer zones i mean a lot of these streams this is you know the upper reaches of the south branch the raritan um flat brook if you look at where they are they're in areas that are either parkland or state land that has generally been protected and sheltered mm-hmm. from any sort of development yeah. um those fish need cold water and in the summer our waters warm up they need that shade they need that protection um so much restoration goes into trout streams like of all the conservation efforts out there one of the, the biggest ones is trout stream restoration to keep wild trout populations wow. in check and there's been a lot of that here uh so that's trout in particular are very fragile a lot mm-hmm. of other fish largemouth bass and catfish they can withstand a lot of torment and a lot of things that you know the situation of the habitat is not perfect for them yeah trout can't so when you have any thriving wild trout populations even if it's small streams and small fish um that really says a lot about about the health of, of your waters. You is, is there pressure from wildlife as well? Is there wildlife that is are we competing with? You know, we always talk about deer pressure is one of the things that's that's really sure. hampering native plants. Uh, they eat or, my peppers or, every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are, are are we seeing that with wildlife as well? Uh, like an imbalance where that is a an issue. I mean. Nothing that, in in my opinion, is is overly shocking. But the one that that does come to mind, if you get, especially if you get hunters talking about this and and guys who, uh, you know, fish in salt water, there has been just a pretty incredible bloom over the last say ten years of cormorants in mm-hmm. New Jersey, yeah. uh, to the point where I even see them on the Delaware here, right outside of Trenton. There are islands here where in the summertime you look up and every the, the trees, every they're just cormorants in every tree you didn't see that when i was growing up and granted it wasn't necessarily something i was paying a lot of attention to when i was younger but there are there are places now uh, on the river in some of the bays where the cormorants are so thick and they're they're competing for bait fish they're eating fish food and i've noticed that certain times of year when the cormorants are real thick here suddenly i won't be able to catch any smallmouth bass in this particular stretch of water not only will the cormorants eat the young smallmouths, but really they're just they're competing for their food. Any bait fish, anything cormorants can grab, that's a, a, a fairly big documented issue. Wow. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of talk about what to do about that in other states. If I'm not mistaken, um, fish and wildlife departments have told have opened a season and yeah. basically told hunters like call some like get you know these birds are. Uh, but of course, we haven't done that here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that's the that's the biggest one that that sort of jumps to mind um, in terms of being a real problem. Yeah, we had an issue on our pond. What was it that found its way into it? Was it an otter? We had an otter. otter. Yeah, I don't know how yeah. it found its way into our pond. Damage too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's it wasn't. <laughs> you know, he he had no threats in that pond at all. There was nothing threatening <laughs> right. him, so he was just having a field day. Right. So you know, but we were like, how did he find his way? to the pond in the middle of our nursery you know it was just you know (laughs) but he was obviously searching you know Mm -hmm. he found he found a pot of gold yeah yeah that's actually that's pretty interesting actually because come to think of it i've never seen an otter just like walking across a field somewhere they're always pretty close to water yeah 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 i mean a trek to get there what's the closest creek to here oh gosh uh i guess it's probably crafts creek but that's even across like a a main road um there's if you followed like all the farm ditches there's probably a way to get right without without getting out of the water but it would be a long way he had his fill and moved on yeah (laughs) Yeah. so so we've talked about fishing and and why why you love fishing so much but what are some of the ways that fishermen give back to to nature well i mean on a very basic level just license sales alone just buying purchasing a fishing license um you know supports state conservation efforts mm-hmm. you know the, the entire price tag doesn't go to that but there are always initiatives that the state is working on i mean your your trout stamps uh support trout conservation if you purchase that but i think you know beyond that and it's sort of the same thing with with hunters there there are people in, in who may not hunt or fish, but they just care about the environment. And, um, you know, you forget that hunters and anglers are are boots on the ground too. Mm -hmm. They care about that environment just as much as somebody who just wants to sort of enjoy the nature. So if you, if you look, I mean, fishermen, we talked about stream restoration. That's, that's one thing, but I mean, I know so many anglers across the country that go out of their way to organize lake cleanups, river cleanups. Um, you know, it's one thing to enjoy a pretty river, a pretty lake, but when you're the guy that wants to get something out of that, mm-hmm. sometimes it, it can matter more to you, you yeah. know? And um, I've, you know, I've been part of some of these cleanups. I've been uh, part of a team that was replanting dune grass after Sandy. Mm-hmm. Um, that was organized by surf fishing clubs it wasn't a general envi- environmentalist thing yeah. it's the fishermen out there replanting sedge grass to keep those barrier islands in check so uh, hunters and anglers in general um they're very quick to jump in when there's an issue or when there's a problem um and and take that upon themselves if they're out there and and see that there's something we can do here something we can clean up there's something we can plant um, very willing group of people in general. Yeah, I think we and we discussed this uh, on a few episodes that sometimes just a, a few bad people give a bad name to the whole group. Like, sure. like just in in television, you know, they they give you that stupid hunter so many times mm-hmm. in so many different scenarios in TV and movie, and it's it's stereotypical, but mm-hmm. not necessarily the truth. Because I I find most hunters and fishermen more passionate, knowing they need nature to protect what they love doing you know yeah. and they have more respect for it than than most of the people you know i guarantee when i'm walking through by a waterway and i find litter it's not from the fisherman that was fishing there <laughs> yeah. yeah and sometimes it is and that's that's just like you're saying yeah. you know you have a few bad apples um yeah. 
but it, it's unfortunate. I mean, you do see that. You do see fishing line. You do see stuff left behind. Yeah. And sometimes the best you can do is just grabbing it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just grabbing it yourself. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not to say that there aren't some some anglers and hunters out there that that don't have that respect, but I think by and large, as a community, as hunting and angling communities, yeah, um, some of the most driven people in terms of keeping the environment. In check. I agree. Before I forget, and this is off topic because I, I thought about it before when we were talking about like Mercer County Parks. Mm-hmm. Just from our end, I, I think with a lot of that, you know, they bought a lot of land, and you were saying it was maybe overly managed in some areas i know the sourlands conservancy right now is working with mercer county parks yep. dnr greenway and friends of hopewell valley open space they know that they're losing a million tr- ash trees mm-hmm. um and they've been planting like crazy we just sent a truck today so mm-hmm. they're planting yeah. like ten thousand trees this this fall yeah uh, to try to protect and and rebuild that now i know it's we've had this conversation is is managing it bet do you let it manage itself or do you manage it i don't know the answers to that but it's i yeah and i know and i just want to add that i didn't want that to come across like i'm saying this is terrible because i enjoy that out there with my children on one hand you know it's 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 really nice to go out there and these trails all connect um i it's just you can't help but remember it you know um i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with um the hunt house i'm not Uh, no So there's an old farmhouse out there with a pond behind it. We used to call it oh, Blackwell's Pond. I, I, okay. Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Okay. Now. So when I was a little kid, like you had to park a mile away and like slog down a mud. It was an adventure yeah. to get to that pond with my granddad mm-hmm. and my dad. And you felt like we're going somewhere really special. There's mm-hmm. not going to be anybody else there. And we might catch a really big bass. And that's how I remember all these places. The farmhouse wasn't rebuilt yet. It was like spooky. It was haunted. It was falling apart. And <laughs> now all that's been rebuilt, and there's like a sign: Willow Pond, Blackwell's Pond, this way. And you don't get your feet muddy, and it's very easy access. So, I I see the benefit of that, but I just will always remember that area as it was, and mm-hmm. I liked it. You know, you know, and and our kids will have different memories because they that's that's before them. You know, we know. Uh, the change but you know when you think of like the farmhouse kind of breaking down being spooky that's nature reclaiming it that's yeah you know that's going back to what it was and i appreciate that i don't feel that everything needs to be restored perfectly sometimes you have mm-hmm. to let it go back to where it was right um and yeah those are some of my my best memories as a kid is some of those areas that you kind of felt like you were out in the middle of nowhere even though you weren't <laughs> you yeah you know what yeah. it, what it took to get to our local waterway was was amazing and it was mm-hmm. an adventure yeah. and now it's now it's not you know yeah, and you, I, I still have places like that now where i'll take my kids and like we're gonna go to the secret pond in the woods well i mean really <laughs> it's, it's not a secret and it's barely in the woods but just to just to have some place where I know they feel like we've trekked out. It, it's it, mm-hmm. unfortunately it's sort of always been an illusion around here because it's always been crowded around here. But yeah. it just still feels harder and harder, you know, to find those little niche places. Yeah. What, what's that getting? Is that happening in some of the western states as well, or is it primarily along the east coast? No, I think that's that's happening everywhere, especially if you look at the uptick in angler numbers in general. Again, some of that's pandemic related, but I mean, if you look at Montana, my colleagues are all in Montana. Meat Eater is based in mm-hmm. Bozeman, Montana. I've spent a lot of time fishing out there, um, and it is it is the Wild West, but as I understand it, you float the Madison River in season on a Saturday, you know, there's 200 boats on that stretch of wow. river. So, um, 
I don't necessarily know about the sort of losing the the wild because there's so much more land out there but in, in terms of interest and people gravitating to it as i understand it from talking to friends yeah the the the, the secret stream that was like locals only three years ago you know everybody finds everything yeah. mm -hmm. these days there's there's a, you know a huge buzzword in fishing is spot burn everybody's mm -hmm. spot burn right my personal opinion of that is is it's not worth getting too upset about because there's just nothing you can do about it. What is the difference if somebody accidentally posts a picture on Instagram and you find it, or you're a resourceful angler and get on Google Maps and go poke around and find something yourself? The end result's the same. It, it, yeah. it equals another person or another 10 people in the spot. And we have the technology now where if you are resourceful and are really trying to find somewhere that doesn't have the foot traffic of the easy access places you can find it i do it all the time i use those resources to look up new places to drop a kayak or take a walk to all the time and it's just sort of the norm now mm -hmm. so. what what are some of the ways that that maybe the fishing community can improve like i'm sure even a seasoned fisherman may be apt to make certain mistakes sometimes is there like a like a, a easy mistake that a lot of people make or something that that as a whole as a community there should be more of a focus yeah. on for for helping yeah that's i know that's, that's broad a, i know that's it's, it's really it's broad. broad and it's yeah i mean it's it's kind of a i'm not really sure you know i can i can sort of relate that more to specific fisheries again like we're mm -hmm. having a, a striped bass right now in the salt there's a lot of huge conservation issues on the docket and regulation changes um you know for for this season um I think that if there's if there's a mistake that comes to mind, I think one of the byproducts of so many more people being out there and so many new people being out there and this hunger to find your own piece of water, um, believe it or not, as silly as it, as it may seem and and simple, there's, there's there's conflict all the time over simple trespassing. Just mm. you know, you you want it so badly that you don't care and not only do you not care you're going to go in and you're going to film a youtube video at this golf course <laughs> where you're not supposed to be and i mean these videos of people getting harassed for trespassing in the youtube generation mm -hmm. not just here all over the country it's pretty common and you know when you're a kid you, you do some dumb things but every every time this happens this is the kind of thing that leads to to hurting the angler who's on the up and up, mm -hmm. you know, so you have a landowner or something that has one bad experience with the, the kid or the guy who's just going to say too bad, I'm doing this, you know, that might have now soured them on the guy who might knock on the door and say, hey, you know, Tom, you hunt, you mm -hmm. understand the, the handshake. Can I can I fix your fence for you and fish your bass pond? I mean, no, nobody mm -hmm. does that anymore. Yep, so as I don't know. I don't know if that was the answer you guys are looking for, but it's just what pops into my head is, is, is no, like that's... this rampant trespassing because people are so desperate to find that piece of water that nobody else is pressuring. You know? No, no I, I think that's a perfect answer because, and of really what we're, we were looking for was something that gives uh, other people a bad taste in their mouth, and they say they think of this one instance when it comes to hunting or fishing and then says oh well they're all bad right so no that's no but even though hunting yeah. and fishing is is a solitary sport it's a mm -hmm. community yeah. and i think a lot of that community gets seg 
you know fragment it and and segregate it and and like you said like you've you've given people permission to to hunt your property mm. and you have people that respect it and people that don't and you you try to align yourself with the people who have the same values and are working together for for that that common goal you're mm. not you know i i know you as a hunter tom very respectful and you're you're using the meat you're you're eating the meat you're hunting for for sustainability you're not mm-hmm. just going out for the kill yeah yeah and, and that, another that, example we have a, a pond on one of our farms and you have all so many people say oh can i fish your pond and you don't want to say no but then you have the instance and this was a real thing that happened where uh we had a couple kids who were actually taking the the bass that they were catching out of our pond and bringing them back to their own pond and one time I show up and there's just a bass, dead bass, laying on the picnic table there, and it's like, oh, maybe I don't want to say yes anymore. But it's, you know what? That that's common too. Yeah. Like that's another thing that same same deal. This this pond has what I want. I have this little place. People illegally stocking or moving mm-hmm. fish around. Yeah. That's another very common thing these days. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, can we talk about seaspiracy? <laughs> sure. Can we talk I've about even, that? I've even put it in the we've, covered, notes. we've covered it a lot in our in our podcast. No, and but, it just uh, you know just our last conversation yeah. made me think about we've, that. We've and, t- talked about it a little bit here as well, and I've thought about adding it as a question just to get your opinion on it. Since we brought it up here, like, I'm like, ah, maybe we won't. Like anything else, like you know, I, I, you have to figure anything presented like that. There's an angle, and there's some things that are truth, and there's some things that there aren't. Maybe some things are over exaggerated, or so forth. I mean, are we really overfishing? You know, we've had Dr. Enrique Sala from National Geographic on talking about like protecting our waterways. You mm-hmm. know, and we know certain mm-hmm. keystone species you need to protect, otherwise, you'll see it collapse much faster as a whole. Like we know the importance of sharks and 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 things like that, and, and certain predators. But are are we running into an issue? Is it only certain parts of the country? Is like how much of that is is true? Like I'm sure there's always people that abuse it. And there's some truth and maybe some exaggeration. So sure. And, and my opinion of that film, um, did that, you know, put focus on some some serious issues that, that we have going on with our oceans and commercial fishing? Absolutely. Um, we we covered this on our podcast on Bent. We had uh, Steve Klobuchar, who's a correspondent mediator. He's a fisheries biologist. Um, and you know, one of the things he did, and we certainly, I can't, I can't recall all of it, but when you watch Seaspiracy, and this is, this is sort of a trick, every time they, they spit out a fact, they cite the source in fine print. This okay. is where we got that from. All right. The average person is never going to follow up on that source or look at it and then absorb it as a whole. So what you have to keep in mind is that that filmmaker is taking one snippet, one phrase, one fact from in most cases what were these giant giant studies in depth and using it to his advantage to get the point he wants to make across and what steve did was he came in and he's like let's look at some of this and the one that comes to mind you know the the big stat up front that what is it by 2045 the oceans will be Mm -hmm. void of light i I forget the exact date yeah he's like that was extracted from a study that was done in like 2006 and I forget exactly how he he set it up, but he's like, you know, they had this baseline showing this decline, and if you extrapolate it out long enough, eventually you hit zero. But mm. that particular fact was has been disputed and and trashed by scientists for for years and years and years. So one of the biggest takeaways for Seaspiracy, um, you know, 
the filmmaker is sort of acting like nobody has cared about any of this until right now because I said so. When in reality, there have been journalists and news organizations, if you look for it, that have been covering a lot of the issues that he brought up much more smartly, much more in depth. Um, and you know, I my opinion is it's a it's a it's a propaganda film. It's a it's a shock value propaganda mm-hmm. film that dabbles in fact, but if you really took the time to break down a lot of those stats and yeah. a lot of those sources, there are so many holes that can be poked in it. It's, it. it's enough to make you passionate. And we've had this. I had this discussion with a listener. Part of my, you know, that we were we're talking about science, and he's like, "Science is science. Facts are facts." I'm like, "Depends on how you present it, though. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, you could say you read a report where guns don't kill as many people as you think, but then it, it's if you're beating them with it instead of shooting it. <laughs> you, right. you know, yeah. It's, yeah. there's always an angle that you can use to help prove your point. So. There's always something enough to get passion, but there's mm-hmm. there has to be a separation between passion and yeah. fact. And that's what we've ad- yeah. advocated here for on before. If you go back to our, our chemicals episode was, hey, don't just believe what you read on the internet. Don't just watch Seaspiracy and believe it. If it invokes that much passion, have the passion to go on Google and look all this stuff up exactly. and fact check it and, and, it, and it, say, is this actually true? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, the unfortunate problem, uh, you know, as you guys know with films like that is you're going to get a much greater matter of fact impact off watching it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I forget, but uh, Steve Klobuchar, when we interviewed him, actually there, there's a, there's a law like, yeah. a, like a Murphy's law type of thing that basically said the, the energy it takes to refute BS is much greater than it takes to make it. So point being, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's once this is out there, even though there's, millions of pages of data and and studies to dispute this or make you see it from a different angle the average person is never going to dive into that yeah and this they're they're going to take it at face value and that's and, what's happening and that's uh brandolini's law and i'm, Brandolini. I'm upset that i that's wasn't it. able to use it here before he put, <laughs> put it up brandolini that's right but you yeah. know that you know i you know you can easily like we know the damage that ddt has done to mm-hmm. to our environment mm-hmm. but it's easy to use that as like, hey, look what's over here. Don't pay attention to what's going on over here. Yeah. It's like, don't worry about what we're doing. Just know that this was bad. When maybe you're you're just trying to get the attention off of yourself because mm-hmm. you're doing something worse and mm-hmm. you're throwing all these other things out there. So it's, we always say, please do your research. Just don't yeah. believe everything because, you know, you hear it or we say it or you know, do your own research and come up with your own, your own opinion. You know, before you know, I love passion, but it can't just be blind passion. Because exactly. that's the hardest thing to. I agree. The energy to, to, to break down blind passion is you. You can't like sometimes yep. you, you. It's a losing battle, yep. and yep. And I'm guilty of it. I'm not saying I'm not guilty of it, but I'm trying to get better. <laughs> so, so moving on. One of the things that we've actually talked about on our podcast, and you have as well. And I think this is actually the uh, the first time I wrote into you guys was you talked about the dam removal on the Musconetcong River mm-hmm. in northern New Jersey. And it was right after we had on um, – oh, Fran, who was it? Uh, from uh, the Nature Michelle, Conservancy. Michelle, Michelle de, Blasio, de Blasio, who was involved in that project. Um, that's something that's happened over all over the country. How does that improve um, – we know it improves our ecosystems. How does that improve uh, or, or help fish? Well, a bunch of different ways, but I would mentioned that one of the things that makes the Delaware so special is that it's it's undammed. So um, you have 
a lot of migratory fish on all East Coast rivers. Mm -hmm. Delaware specifically, we get a run of American shad. We have the strongest run of American shad on the East Coast still. Uh, we get uh, river herring and then the striped bass that come out of saltwater through Delaware Bay to come up and spawn. So in the springtime, we have all these migrating fish. Um, a lot of other rivers throughout New England and into the uh, mid-Atlantic see the same things, at least in terms of the shad. But the fishing is only going to be good up to the first dam, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look historically, American shad saved Washington's army at Valley Forge mm -hmm. when they were starving in, in, in the winter. Uh, the fish ran up the Delaware, up the Schuylkill, and fed the army, and the revolution could press on. But if you look at that same river now, there's four dams between the Delaware and Valley Forge. Mm -hmm. And there's fish ladders and all these things, but really that has squashed the run of a lot of these migrating fish that are important to the ecosystem. Um, you know, the, the baby shad and the baby herring feed smallmouth, feed catfish. Uh, a lot of the, the adult shad die and decompose and add nutrients back into the river system. So if you look at the musk and ekong, it was pretty fascinating to me. They, they, they got rid of some of the dams there. And within one season, that river was seeing American shad wow. and herring and stripers at the low end. One season. I mean, wow. it was that powerful. And I, I actually feel bad because it's been a while since they've done that. And I, it's like on my list to go fish the lower Muscanet Kong in the spring. I just haven't found the time to get up there yet. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it can do a little bit more than that. Um, a lot of our, our trout streams, the Muscanetcom being one, is pretty heavily stocked far up. It has wild trout up at the headwaters. It's pretty regularly stocked in season in the middle. And then a lot of times the low ends of these rivers are sort of like no man's land. Um, they, they don't really put fish down there. Well, once you get rid of the dams and now you have this lower stretch of these rivers that has straight shot access to the Delaware, man, from a fishing perspective, it becomes a, a place for like, you don't know what you're going to find. <laughs> a flathead catfish can swim up. A big striper can swim up. Trout that have trickled down from the upper regions. Um, a lot of times in the low ends of these rivers, you won't have many trout. But the ones that post up down there, they're big, nice. you know, and, and you go hunt for these fish that have sort of maybe even started out. They were they were stocked, but now they've acclimated and they've spent a few years in these low ends of the rivers. Low ends of rivers in general, like really... I get really excited about them. I do a lot of fishing on the Lehigh on the Pennsylvania mm -hmm. side in Allentown. And everybody knows Lehigh Gorge and up in the mountains mm -hmm. and the pretty trout. Man, we fish the grungy end through Bethlehem <laughs> and Allentown. And it's not as pretty, but again, you don't know what you're going to bump into. So, I mean, that can really develop some cool stuff on the Muscanacon. Awesome. And it did it very quickly in terms of the, the shad and herring. You know? I, I think dam removal to mention is important only because, you know, one of the things as a as a whole we tend to focus on the damage that we've done recently in the last 20 years 30 years but you know when we had ray archuleta on from kiss the ground he was like hey you got to remember most of our soil was already destroyed by 1920 we we mm -hmm. did it a long time ago like even though we didn't help most of the major damage was done and when you think of dams i know we've talked about this many times like you think of the meadowlands mm -hmm. and that brackish environment that goes back to the dutch damming that that was fresh water and uh turned it brackish and it killed the Atlantic white cedar bogs and, and totally changed the topography of that area and 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 all the work that that done. And that's something necessarily you're not going to go back to. You're not mm -hmm. going to make that a freshwater yeah. Atlantic white cedar bog anymore. So the fact that we're able to 
realize some of these mistakes that we've made earlier and fix them and that it just shows how resilient nature is the how yeah. how quickly it can come back which i think is a great great point yeah so after talking about a lot of this where do you think there's opportunities for fishermen and native plant enthusiasts to come together other than being one of each which is me <laughs> <laughs> well i i definitely think that there's there's crossover we talked about buffer zones there and we talked about sort of the benefits of those buffer zones in a lot of waterways yeah. staying mm -hmm. wild um you know, another another sort of issue that's fairly common around here, especially in the upper Chesapeake too, uh, we have a fair amount of non-native aquatic plants. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's Japanese milfoil mm -hmm. or hydrilla yeah. in the northern Chesapeake. So, uh, you know, I also think that um, in, in some cases, if you look at these non-native plants, these aquatic plants, they're not native, but they've actually improved fish habitat okay. in some cases, because even though these plants aren't supposed to be here and they grow like wildfire, well, they've now provided better spawning habitat, rearing mm -hmm. habitat for catfish, largemouth. So I think that the other crossover there, too, is is just sort of both being cognizant and, and aware of um, what we're we're doing to keep the native plants in place on the fertilizer front and also looking at like do we need to introduce chemicals to these waterways to get rid of these plants are are they posing this problem or are we going to do more harm than good by trying to eradicate some of these things and i know you guys are the native plant show and <laughs> no, I'm but about non -native we, plants, no but we but we've had this conversation like yeah. phragmites if, if you have phragmites up and down waterways you're not getting rid of that without chemicals it's just right. not going to happen and you're spraying probably twice because mm -hmm. if you or you're excavating everything which isn't right. a feasibility so right. you know what the what is the answer you know it's you know that maybe it's not hosting as many lepidoptera or but what are its other factors i i don't know that answer it's more mm -hmm. complex than than yeah. what i can grasp i mean one of the biggest ones it's not a jersey thing but i mean uh, the knotweed up on uh, the upper delaware system up in the mm -hmm. trout stretches mm -hmm. up there you guys talk about all the time i mean that stuff miles and miles and miles of bank with mm -hmm. that and i i certainly i'm not a plant guy i don't know the solution to that but i think about that like how is it even possible to get rid of this and do so in a way that isn't going to negatively affect everything else going on up here yeah. what is the risk mm -hmm. reward of a lot of these projects I, i'm fascinated by it. you know because it, it makes me wonder if if all right so say not we doesn't really host any insects or pollinator how is that affecting the fish uh that may prey on flies landing you know if you're right. not if you're not getting that that insect source and it's changing the landscape how is that a changing you know is it sure you know it's the, the the food web like how does that affect the food web and is that ultimately affecting the fish yeah right. and and what i was even thinking is and what we always talk about is if you're gonna remove something you have to have a replacement you can't just say uh, hey, we're going to cut down all these trees sure. and let, then it just let it go because yeah. that's just you're opening up for invasive plants, and then that's all of it's going to be there. You sure. have to to replace it with something, or uh, on land you're keeping the deer out, keeping those predators out. That's a lot harder in the water with something like milfoil. Okay, you get mm -hmm. rid of it, but and now you're getting rid of all that fish habitat and and all the spawning areas. Well, you have to replace it with something, or that's just gone, and until another invasive plant comes around. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you, you fished yeah. Penn Warner. I was just going to yeah. say, um, 
Manor Lake. I, I don't have a I don't have a membership, but I have some friends that belong to Penn Warner. And that's where we mainly fished was Manor Lake. It was Manor. Yeah, not, so yeah. I don't I don't know if you know it. Now. Do you still fish there? No, I haven't been there probably in in. So years, yeah. so Manor has um, invasive snakeheads in it now. Really? I'm, a, I'm 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 a huge snakehead fan. I love okay. fishing for them. I find them interesting. They are super fun to catch. So I've gone down there a few times um, in the early spring with some buddies to target them. And Manor was pretty grown in. A lot of, a lot of lily pads, a lot mm-hmm. of hydrilla, like yeah. really thick. And that's the stuff that snakeheads love. Yeah. And um, we did this in April, and then I went back with them that June. And the literally the entire lake, other than some pads, was completely just nothing, no plants whatsoever. Wow. And I thought they were doing this in an attempt to control the snakeheads. And my buddy is like, no, no, no. They just start having um, tournaments every weekend starting on Father's Day. <laughs> and these guys don't want to deal with the hydrilla and all the plants. They just want a clean, clear lake to fish in. And I'm like, this can't be good. Like, you can't just mm-hmm. go from these choked in environments even for the native you know the bass and the things they put in there yeah. to just what is it roto uh what are they what um i forget the chemical you guys would know but they just bomb that lake to make it cleaner and clearer and prettier for the weekend tournaments you know well i re- you know fishing there as a kid i remember watching people catch like 46 inch muskies now i know they were, were they were stocking it but it was amazing but to still, be on that yeah. pier in manor lake and and see yeah. someone pull one up from a pier you know yep. but one thing that you know, and I realize in change that most people may not realize either. Like as a kid, we would fish Silver Lake in in Levittown, and mm-hmm. I went back recently, and the whole lake is filled in with with a spatter dock, which is native, but it's it's filled in, and it wasn't like that as a kid. It was open, but mm-hmm. I know enough to know that spatter dock can only live in three feet or less of water, which means that that lake has filled in right. over time right. through erosion because of impact around it that mm-hmm. it's now taking over that lake. So like yeah. the average person may say, oh, this this plant's invasive, it's taking over. No, I know that that's, that lake now is no deeper than three foot, <laughs> Right. you mm-hmm. know? So, yeah. and that that change, I would imagine that would have to have an effect on yeah. on the amount of it. And like it's creating more habitat, more shade, I realize that, but it, it's gotta change the face of what's living in there, I would imagine, because of the depth, you know? It just seems to me like going from those extremes from fully vegetated to in a couple days with chemical treatment that can't be can't be good can't be good yeah. you know plus the chemicals plus the the difference in temperature i would imagine the water temperature alone has got to be massively yep. different yep so yep. yeah it's you know one of the questions and you may not know this i was just thinking with dam removal a lot of those dams in in pennsylvania the streams had been changed for farm you know the farmers mm-hmm. wanted to make it more accessible yeah. so, they so they changed straighten them and straight and, yep i I don't know if that has an effect – how that affects fish when you, you change the geomorphography of that water. It, it, it certainly affects them, and I don't I don't have any specific examples, but I know um, – like if you look at the limestone belt, like a map of where, the, you know, um, central PA, the limestone belt kind of jogs just west of us closer to Harrisburg, and there's a lot of limestone spring creeks out there, which is – limestone spring creeks are some of the best wild trout water in the whole wow. country if you have a limestone mm-hmm. spring creek it's usually pretty good and a lot of those ran through um like lancaster like through all, a lot of the the amish farms down there and they were dammed and they were straightened because they needed it to be that yeah. way for livestock or whatever mm-hmm. it was um and there's there's no there's no wild trout in those anymore i mean a lot of these were small streams that were marginal anyway but um 
twists and turns create depth variant. They create shade. They move water and aerate water differently. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need churn in a trout stream in particular to aerate that water. So anytime you take something and make it perfectly straight, it will have some kind of impact. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's, it's not natural. You know, and I know they were saying in one of the studies I saw that as they moved the streams back, the sea, like, even though the field was being used for agriculture, when the stream went back to where it was traditionally, the seed bank was still there and the native plants came right back up. Things they hadn't seen in a hundred years pop back up. So it's, just shows how resilient everything can be. You know, it's do you do you think we're on the upswing? Are you seeing a huge difference in I, I know there's always a talk like is it declining? Are we overfishing? You know, are we making it worse? But are, you know, are we at the point with the amount of attention and focus that we're starting to see a change where it's coming back? That the water quality is getting better, that that the fishing's getting better, or do we still have a long way to go? I think generally speaking, I think water quality is getting better. And it's a fine line because there is so much awareness now about environmental issues and the, the you know climate change and everything. Um, and I think at its core, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. Yeah. As long as it doesn't translate into less access or changed access or too much, too many rule changes or stopping people in, in sort of any facet of, of, of nature, whether it's hiking, fishing, hunting, from being able to enjoy that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I generally am not super doom and gloom on mm. that. I, I'm more so, I think about it more so in terms of the ocean than I do inland. Um, you know, how many more hurricanes are we going to get because <laughs> yeah. temperatures are rising, things yeah. like that. Uh, I think of it more in terms of, of, of weather, but, you know, in our immediate area, I mean, you talk about the Pine Barrens, that's incredibly clean water. I mean, what a cool yeah. system that is, yeah. the way it filters mm-hmm. itself through the sand. Yeah. I mean, you know, even the Passaic, we shot the video on the Passaic. Yeah, it's true. It, it is one of the most polluted rivers, but even that, if you break it down, it's really from Patterson Falls down through Newark, where all the yeah. industry is. Mm-hmm. The upper has its problems, but there are organizations that, even though it's it's sort of like, you know, doesn't get a lot of attention, there are groups that are doing things to try and and clean up the Passaic. There are guys who run garbage scows with traps that just go out there and just collect things mm-hmm. off the surface. Yeah. So, I mean, it's if we sort of fail in getting things back to where they need to be or on the right track, it won't be for lack of awareness because mm-hmm. I mean, everybody nowadays has has something yeah. it seems like that they're passionate about whether it's saving one particular stream or one particular park or planting more trees here um it's just so much more in your face now and i don't i don't think that's a bad thing no you know and it's the awareness that how important soil is and you need the native plants and and they capture all the sun's energy and and feed most of the food mm-hmm. web and and we can't survive without the rest of that food web it's it's all parts you need all of it you can't focus on one aspect so it's nice to know the awareness of not just the plants, but the fish and, and everything a part of it. It's just different groups that some are working together, some aren't, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's we're trying to bring the light of of an aspect that people may not be aware of. You know, it's a, a lot of people are very passionate about, you know, not fishing and not harming any wildlife, but they're, we're all working together for yeah. that same goal yeah. and yet you need each other to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was, I guess, some of the the motivation here was, even I get it. We well, 
we put up a YouTube video and uh, or yeah. uh, me, and I was basically in the woods and I'm saying, hey, look at the Cornus Florida, look at the black haw that's blooming. This is really amazing. Hey, p- also pay attention. We have some invasive plants that are popping up. Yeah. See how there's nothing growing from my shins to my shoulders. That's because all the deer overpressure. Um, but I'd been turkey hunting that morning. And I just made a short mention of it yeah. in the morning. <laughs> Someone, yeah. The only comment we got was, I'm unsubscribing because you're killing wildlife. I, I, I haven't hey, been successful Henry, <laughs> with Henry, it. But. Henry Winkler, the Fonz <laughs> yeah. man, just got slammed on Twitter. Yeah. For posting a, like a very respectful gripping grin of a beautiful trout he caught. It was like, yeah. isn't the world beautiful? And it's like, people come out of the woodwork and just say, now you're awful. Yeah. Now I hate you. How could you? And it's like, man, it's the Fonz. He just called him a beautiful <laughs> trout. He's a steward of like, he's the most conservation minded, you know, catch and release only guy. And it's just like, you saw one picture. So you mentioned turkey hunting yeah. one time and now you're yeah. evil. Unfortunately, mm. we're not going to get rid of that. That's just yeah. No, well, the mm. the funny thing was, j- jokingly, I was just bashing Julia Louis Dreyfus because we just got a letter <laughs> in the mail about saving the honeybee, mm-hmm. and I'm like, but the honeybee is not even native. You know, they're out competing the native pollinators. Like, who? Where are you getting your information from? You're you're yeah. you're supporting the wrong side of the argument. You know, but it's. <laughs> You know, you're going to have that. Everyone has their own passion, and and I get that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, you know, one of the things we always say is every day you make a series of choices. Hopefully, you do. You make more choices for the good of the the environment and the ecosystem than you do bad. Yeah. You know, obviously, yeah. we're still using gas powered cars and you know air conditioning and all these mm-hmm. things that that aren't good. You know, hopefully, you're just making more more good decisions than than bad. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So starting to wrap up yeah. here, can you tell us a little bit for, for some of our younger listeners who might want to do something like you're doing? How did you get into the industry? And then how did you get affiliated with Meteor? Meteor and uh, I guess I'm combining two questions. A little bit about what they're trying to do um, by raising awareness to hunting and fishing. Sure. Sure. And I'll, I'll try and keep it brief because it's, it's 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 kind of a long story. Um <laughs> But I, I kind of attribute it a little bit to sort of making it in a band. And you guys have to remember, I started in this gig in 2005, and I was going to Ryder University, journalism major. Um, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. I was either going to make it in a punk band, which did not work out, or I could write really well and love to fish. So I'm like, we'll go, we'll go that way. Right. And I started out interning for New Jersey Angler Magazine, which mm-hmm. is long gone. Uh, they they haven't been around in a while. And I, I say it's like being in a band because a lot of how i got here was just good timing was meeting the right people at exactly the right time the right point getting my work in front of a few people um i ended up with saltwater sportsman in new york city my senior year as an intern and they hired me right out of school that was from the portfolio i built covering local jersey tournaments for new jersey angler and uh, i worked there for a few years right out of school i was commuting to new york every day and uh field and stream was a sister publication and when the company got sold, they moved Saltwater Sportsman to Florida, and I took a web gig at Field and Stream, did that for a little bit. But my real goal there was to become the fishing editor and just sort of worked really hard at that, proved myself, and lo and behold, John Merwin, the legendary fishing editor, retired. And um, I got that gig there and spent 10 years doing that mm-hmm. and um, moved over to Mediator just because I think Mediator right now is really at the forefront of modern outdoor media. Mm-hmm. Uh, Field and Stream was amazing. It was just very hinged on on print, which sadly has has gone. Yeah. I mean, Field and Stream is no longer in print. It's just digital. Um, but really attracted to Mediator because, for one thing, they they put so much focus on personality driven media. They mm-hmm. 
are, you know, they, they recognize what their players sort of bring to the table with their own personalities and styles and, and know how to promote that, which is something I really wanted to do. And in terms of conservation, I mean, conservation is, is one of the pillars of the business. It is a, a core piece of, um, of, of meat eater. And, you know, we're, I think, pretty cautious with what stories and conservation angles we cover because mm-hmm. a lot of people out there have causes these days too. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are very aware of environmental issues, but everybody has a cause. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we, one, one way I think sometimes you can, you can get in trouble is if you jump on too many causes or tell too many people, here's this cause and this one and this one and this one, and this one, it can get really diluted, mm-hmm. you know? So we're pretty strategic with what we sort of get behind. We do a lot of vetting to make sure like, yes, this is a project, this is an initiative, this is something that we really want to use our position to get in front of yeah. more people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, conservation is at the core of, of everything that, that Meat Eater does, you know? Just, just I, for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a music journalist. That didn't really pan out for me either. So I, I wanted to do recording technology, and I got a few college interviews, and I was just a punk kid playing chugga chugga music, and they were like, "Okay, here's this sheet music. Can you play that?" I'm like, "Ooh, no!" And I realized they don't want a bunch of chugga chugga metal kids in their recording program. Yeah. You actually have to be a musician. So I'm like, "Ah, we're gonna go journalism." But I get hit up by kids all the time, and I'm always happy to answer them, uh, you know, and always happy to read their work and advise where I can. The, the one thing though, is I was the, the last generation that got in before social media. Wow. Like I was yeah. the last, like that timing, there was still just a small group of people, generally speaking in outdoor media at the time. And you had to work your way in and meet the right people. So kids are like, how do I get there? I'm like, man, I, I wish I could answer that. Because these days, unfortunately, you're not competing with the people who are already there. You're competing with everybody mm-hmm. with a YouTube yeah. channel, everybody with an Instagram account. So in in the sh- relatively short amount of time I've been doing this, it, it was like we went from horse-drawn carriage to cars. Like the, the landscape yeah. has changed so drastically since mm-hmm. 2005 yeah. that it can almost be a little hard to advise. Yeah. You know? I know some of it's luck, but you have to be good at it. Yeah. Yeah. You also you know, do have to be good at it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to work your butt off and you know have the drive. There, there, uh, there's a little a, bit of luck. Yeah, there's there's a ton of podcasts. Like you said, every everyone has a YouTube channel or a podcast. But you have to be. I think the art of just communication has taken a hit since that has started. And it has. It absolutely mm-hmm. has. You know, uh, I and I've complained that that a lot of people don't know how to have a phone conversation. They don't know how because they can do all this. They can be introverted and they can do it from the the safety of their own home without really interacting with anyone sure but the the best part is if you're good at interacting yeah <laughs> you know like i feel fortunate tom and i have a really good rapport yeah. and it makes it yeah. fun you know and when we can do that with the this guests has that's... been a blast i've been on a ton of podcasts and sometimes it's like dude you can ask me like you have a question or like, where are we go <laughs> this is great like this has been this is like really thank refreshing you. and fun you guys thank are awesome you. we we appreciate that so we yeah. just to tie it up i know we're trying to end mm-hmm. it up um what are some of the ways our listeners can get involved if they want to make a difference, uh, whether they're a fisherman or a native plant enthusiast? What What are some of the best ways that you know of or or, or organizations or things that they can do to, to help? Sure. Well, you know, it's it's actually so we just talked about how social media is a problem, but yeah. it's also been a blessing <laughs> yeah. in terms of groups. And there are a ton of them out there. And, and nowadays, 
you don't even have to go to sort of like your 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 national groups anymore or like state groups um there are just so many uh, local groups that get together just to voluntarily manage this area this piece of water you know friends of the upper delaware river yeah. friends of ken lockwood gorge um you know so it's in a way it's easier especially if you want to really feel like you're making a difference in your own community it's not that difficult now through social mm -hmm. media to find people that care about what is in your own backyard which i think motivates more people than say you know going and and planting sedge grass or whatever in, in, in this area that's far from home yeah um a lot of these river cleanups have been so successful because it's like yeah that's this piece of river in my own backyard mm -hmm. i'm going to be more likely to help out where i fish or where i walk or where i hike than than taking the drive up here and that's kind of one of the good byproducts of this level of awareness mm -hmm. is that there are so many more ways to get involved maybe than there were you know 20 years ago yeah and or at I, least easier to find i you know what that that's a good point you know we always try to promote you know if everyone planted three native plants in their mm -hmm. their own yard mm -hmm. if you see a bird that you've never seen before because of a plant you planted or you get to eat a berry that you've never harvested yourself because you did that it's going to make more of an impact for you to hopefully do more you have to yeah. start somewhere and start right. small so hopefully you could do something that makes an impact and inspires you to do more over time Mm -hmm. You know, you can only do so much. Yeah. <laughs> not everyone's going to do everything. Yeah. You can't. Like I, I, you know, for for as much as we do, I'm not involved with a lot of things outside of work. You know, because sometimes sure. you need to take, like, it, it's got to be hard for you loving fishing, doing it for a living. At some point, it's got to take a toll on fishing. To, to, has it killed it for you at all, or it's still no, no, no. And that's and that's I've always told myself that's going to be a tell when yeah. when the mm -hmm. time comes when I'm so tired or jaded that I don't want to fish in my free time anymore, then I know you need to walk away from yeah. this industry. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's a, it's a stressful industry. It's tough. It gets more and more stressful all the time with so many more YouTubers and things coming at you. Uh, but one thing I'll also mention, um, I think it's, it's important to help out where you can, yeah. right? At the same time, I've met a lot of people throughout my career that were so embedded in the conservation culture so worried about fighting for this or fixing that 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 too can sometimes shade or or overshadow the original reason why you cared which is because you loved fishing yeah, i mean yeah. i have fished with guys great guys and good on them you know they're they're at every meeting their life is devoted to fighting or changing then you get them on the boat and sometimes they can be, a, a, you know, kind of a downer. You know, you catch a big fish. Like, well, you would have caught a lot more if they didn't change regular. I'm like, dude, can't you just, like, be excited that you just caught that? So you, you got to watch there. I think yeah. there it's, it's, it's good to be involved and know what's going on, especially on a local level, and help out. But you also have to be careful not to spend too much time fighting and therefore just forgetting how to enjoy what it is you're fighting for. You know, mm -hmm. you, you know, that's there was a uh, I'm not going to say who it was or what group, but there was a comment left in a group about podcasts that, that Tom and I follow. <laughs> yeah. And it's just felt I felt like at some point you have to celebrate what you enjoy. Yeah. And, yeah. and leave it at that instead of, you know, destroying everything that you dislike. Yeah. And it was there was no joy or celebration in this comment. It was everything he disliked about all these other podcasts and what's wrong with them <laughs> instead right. of just really promoting what he loved about the one podcast he loved. 
Like, yeah. enjoy that. Celebrate it. Like, otherwise, why are you doing this? Why are we even having the conversation? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. It's, you know. And it took do the do the river cleanup, but mm -hmm. at some point. Don't clean anything up today and fish the river you helped clean up. That's yeah. what got you into this. You know, it's it's important to maintain that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, you know, I know this this past weekend my fiance and I just took a moment. We put a, a blanket down in the backyard, just sat under the trees and listened to birds for like an yeah. hour and just enjoyed it. Like yeah. otherwise, why why does it matter if you're not yeah. going to at least appreciate or enjoy exactly. it? Exactly. So, uh, so uh, you have I know there's a story you want to ask about. I yeah, so I was thinking about this after we sent the list of some of the things we want to talk about. I was like, "Oh, my wife is not going to be happy with me. She's also our uh, our social media editor. She listens yeah. to this first okay. and gets a bunch of graphics. Um, <laughs> but there's a friend of yours who she really admires and uh, and loves watching on YouTube, and that is uh, uh, Bob the Garbage Man Britannia Nanuski. Oh, Bob and G, huh? Wanted to know if you had any stories you could share uh, that that might get give her a kick. Man, Bob yeah. G stories. Hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of how to do that that, that tactfully. Because <laughs> am I am I like ruining Santa Claus if I just remind everyone that Bob is fictional? Your wife? No. Oh no no, 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 yeah, she knows. No. He's yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, because there are people who are not who do not know that Bob is fictional, which is great. But um, we we have a. Uh, I don't we have wanna, a friend too. We have a friend may, too. Maybe embellished. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of. Uh, I, I. It's not a Bob G story per se. However, um, we were offered the opportunity to have a a free table at the Asbury Park Surf Fishing Club two years ago when the Bob G thing first came out, and our big idea was to have Bob there at an empty table with a box full of cheap Chinese-made lures, and what he would do. <laughs> Uh, for $5, he would smash one and put it in a glad bag, and then you would take home a plug that was smashed by Bob the Garbage Man. So um, those, are, those, are a, uh, those are a lot of fun to make, mm -hmm. but um, I'll I give you – actually, I'll give you one more real quick because your wife will really appreciate this one. So last time Bob was up here uh, last fall – we decided we wanted to do a little boots on the ground PR for, for, for Bob. And um, we went to every tackle shop in Atlantic city and he would just jump out of the truck, kick the door in and either go, Hey, where's Andy? And of course these guys would be like, what? Who's Andy? And he'd be like, ah, tell him I'm looking for him and slam the door and walk out so to the point where people were like, weren't sure if they just saw what they saw. And they were like, what's that? And then my favorite one, he, he kicked the door open one and goes, Hey, you got fresh bunker? The guy's like, yeah. Well, how fresh is it? I got it this morning. Ah, oh, that's too fresh. He just slams the door and walks out. So we did like there was no video, there was nothing. It was just like on the ground grassroots oh, gorilla that's PR. Fun. That's awesome. So, I'll also add my my wife isn't a fisherman or fisherwoman. She but she watched that video with me. The, the first one that came out and then just loved it and then she actually asked me oh what, what does he mean when he says chunking <laughs> i was like oh, it's a... so bob bob frequently makes appearances on the bent podcast and there's mm. also a handful of new instructional videos out there from oh, bob. i don't know yeah. if you've seen that i haven't so i'll have to look them up well, and uh yeah, watch them <laughs> out there 
So the the way we kind of always end this, we end this two ways. We 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 have a final question that we're going to make it a two part for you. Um, we always ask our guests what their favorite native plant is, but we're going. I have to, an answer for that. I prepared uh, for that. All right, awesome. And we're also going to ask what your favorite species uh, of fish to fish for is, and sure. then we kind of give everyone a final thought. And um, so we're going to start off with. I, I can't wait to hear what your favorite native plant is. Let's start with that. <laughs> I hope I, I I'll preface this by saying. Man, I hope it's a native plant, or we, else I'm going to look really we, dumb. We have but, only had one time. Not only did the person not list a native plant, they 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 gave an invasive, <laughs> and okay, we edit. Fortunately, the person gave us two, and we edited it out. So okay, that, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a shot. All I'm right. gonna say my favorite native plant is may apple. Oh yeah, plant? yeah, that is that's okay. a wonderful plant. Here's why. So I'm not much of a plant guy, but I do get into wild mushrooms. I'm a wild mm. mushroom freak. All right. And I do great in the fall with Hen of the Woods and Chicken of the Woods and Lion's Mane. For the last five years, my, like morels have been my bane. And mm-hmm. I was convinced that they did not exist in close proximity to my house. And okay. a buddy as, of mine, as I am too, yeah. but okay. you've, you've proved buddy, me wrong. A buddy of mine last year, he sent me a picture. He goes, what are you talking about? And I'm like, all right, teach me everything. And he slowly let me in. And long story short, this year I actually got on it and and found morels with him found morels in my own spots Mm -hmm. and really the trick to that is knowing your plants more than Mm -hmm. your mushrooms and the the magic sauce tom you'll appreciate this Mm -hmm. it had to be poplar trees with may apple growing around that was the secret formula so every time i'd go out in the woods scouting this out like hoping to hit the pot of gold i'd be like oh it's the right tree no may apple uh may apple but no tree so i'm like just Locked into May apple and poplar, and that was the secret. Tom, I'm going to give you some spots. I know of with that. I wrote it down (laughs) because so my brother went to Ohio State, um, and he's obsessed with with morels just because he could find them all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And he's now back in New Jersey. He can't find them anywhere. He's found like a handful here or there. and like we were, we were even at a golf outing the other day. And he's like, spent more time in the woods trying to find morels. Like, oh, that looks like it'll be a good spot. He goes in there. Uh, I, I'm no expert because yeah. I, like I said, I just yeah. found my first ones this year. Yeah. But uh, people have been hitting me up like crazy. They're like, dude, no way. I've been looking yeah. for morels in yeah. Jersey and Eastern PA my whole life. Can't find them. I certainly you don't give your spots away. But man, that was the common denominator. I will have Poplar, to add. May apple. I'll have to ask my so my fiance Agatha and her mom are from Poland. And they mm-hmm. grew up. She grew up on a farm in southern Poland, and and she went for mushrooms in their forest every day. Yep. So, and I know her mother still forages, and she finds a lot of hers in Camden. So I'm curious. I'm curious. You know, I will say that it, it was surprising because they're these these you know morels are this mythic thing. It's like mm-hmm. you have to go on a vision quest 18 miles into the woods before. It... <laughs> now they're like behind you know a school. Like it, yeah. it, once somebody lets you in and showed you what to look for, you spend yeah. more time looking up yeah. than looking down. And once somebody just like gave you that little taste of like here's what you need to keep an eye out for, yeah. I started like I'd go out and I couldn't not find them. Wow. Now I didn't find huge ones or you know 100 yeah. pounds, but I found a bunch this year. Mm-hmm. So right. Tom, I, I have some so. spots for you. Yeah, yeah. I, gonna, I know exactly. We're go as soon right as he said it, I was like, I know exactly <laughs> where we can go. Now, Tom, they're done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, what is your favorite fish to fish for? Well, what's your favorite type of fishing? So. I have, I have to give you two because I play in salt and freshwater. Freshwater, okay. it's absolutely wild brown trout. Okay. I'm just in love with wild brown trout. Um, spend a lot of time chasing those. You know, they're big, mean, aggressive 
fish. I do a lot of streamer fishing, throwing big flies and big lures. And uh, striped bass is my favorite okay. saltwater fish. Um, I have, I actually have, I have a tattoo of Jersey on my leg with a striper and a brown trout across. Oh. <laughs> awesome. So even though I fished for a ton of stuff and there's, there's a, a lot of other fish that I'm head over heels for, if I really had to, to pare it down to my two sort of hometown favorites that I'll never get tired of, it's big wild brown trout and striped bass. I awesome. love fishing for striped bass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So we, we do end with a final thought. And what we do is we each take a moment and we, we give you the floor for a minute or two. You can use it however you want. You can, bring up something we haven't talked about you can summarize you can promote something we just give you the floor for a minute uh and let you go so it's all yours yeah so this is the, this is the hardest part of the whole podcast <laughs> <laughs> but I, I will say and i sort of hinted at this uh, i truly mean that it, it's it's been really fun to be on with you guys because Thank i you. do I, I rarely say no to a podcast because i'm a podcaster myself <laughs> so i know the struggles of lining up guests and keeping timing so yeah. If somebody reaches out, I'm always happy to help. And this is the first one I've been on that was not fishing centric. Mm-hmm. And I love going on fishing podcasts, yeah. but it's often the same. What is your favorite streamer? What yeah. is your so? This was so refreshing, and I really, truly do appreciate what you guys are doing in terms of bringing your audience that's that's plant focused and sort of framing things from a different angle from a, a you know a different facet of the mm-hmm. outdoors. Yeah. So. Um, this is this has really been uh, a ton of fun and Thank you. For, if there's anybody out there that i've possibly converted to want more fishy stuff i, I gotta plug bent is meeting mm-hmm. this fishing podcast that launches every friday and um you know check out b-side fishing especially jersey people because i i, I hope that i painted jersey in a light that it's not often painted in with mm-hmm. that series and and l- allow people to see where we live uh differently and i'm shooting the next season of that now it'll be out later this year Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Tom, do you want to go or do you want me to Uh, go? I'll let you go first. All right. So I I want to say thank you for for the kind words. You know, for us, this has been as much of a journey as it is for our listeners. And we kind of hope they're just coming along on the journey because we're, you know, one of the things we've never kind of listed ourselves as experts. We're not experts. We're we're learning as we go. Mm -hmm. And we keep – this is kind of selfish. We keep bringing on guests that interest us so we can learn something (laughs) different, you know, and keep – you know, it keeps it fresh and fun for us too. And it's, you know, just, we, we hope that everyone comes along for that journey, keeps learning. I know our, our listenership has been explode. You know, I think last week we were number six on the nature charts in Apple, Mm -hmm. which has come a long way for us in the, Mm -hmm. in the last year. Um, and, and we just keep having fun and I hope it continues to be fun. Like I I haven't grown yet at having to record one of these. So (laughs) I hope that, (laughs) that that doesn't happen. And, And and that's the secret. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 I love on the fish side everything we do. I'm not tired of it yet. Everyone's more creative than the last, and you're always working on new stuff. So that's what keeps you fueled. Yeah. So having you on has been fun for us. It, it brought a whole different aspect, and, and I've learned a lot today. And, and that's what we want to continue to try to do as we move forward. So thank you so much. This has been, this has been great for us. And I'll, I'll just add, this is not really a shameless plug but a fact that like on on instagram and stuff i answer every message i get so if any of your listeners especially local are like i have more fishing questions joe.sermelli138 i answer everything like fire away if you mm-hmm. want to awesome. know something yeah. about fishing around here i'll get back to you so i want to ask one question before tom gives his final thought one of the things that i love but hate is feedback and it's hard like do you get to the point where sometimes you can't look at it because sometimes 
even though I know it's true, it drives me crazy. And and sometimes I get defensive and sometimes – like I realize you can't please everyone. And sometimes no, some people are just trolls and haters and – but it still doesn't mean it doesn't bother me for four days, even though sure. I know no, no, that. No. I get that. I, I I'll be I'll be honest. Um, I, I when people reach out directly, mm-hmm. uh, happy to talk. We get a lot of emails uh, on the Bent Podcast. It's it's all great. I I don't read comments in on, on YouTube as much because mm-hmm. that's where people just sort of mm-hmm. tend to mouth off. But I've found that. When you give people a, a direct line to reach out to you, trolls don't have the time to yeah, reach true. out to you directly to tell you that they don't like you. And, um, you know, people are often shocked. They're like, I can't even believe you answered me. I'm like, dude, I answer everybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's part of of, of who I am. Um, you know, you were saying, how you, you know, we're not experts. I feel the same way. I'm always learning as I go. I'm not an expert fisherman at, at, at everything. Um, you know, part of the fun of my job is talking to people that are yeah. and and learning from them. And this is a community. I don't ever want to be sort of up on this pedestal. Like I know more than you. I always say I will fish with anybody. I don't mm-hmm. care. Like I, you know, so I try to maintain that with social a little bit and, um, you know, you got a question. I'm, I'm as pumped about your big pike as you are. I will, I will fire back. So I try to, you know, keep myself sort of like open door policy in terms of reaching out or questions. <laughs> but when it's, when it's comments in like a public place that's outside my audience or bigger than, yeah, I, I feel you. I don't know. Good. So my, my last thought was, uh, was basically how some of the people who listen to this are writing into us and, and, um, interacting on Facebook and all that. I do that a little bit with with Joe's podcast, Bent, um, and it started out with the Muskinetcon River. How you mentioned that, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then, um, then, but I do need to correct one thing. When you gave me a shout out on your podcast, uh, you mentioned that my brother wasn't a fisherman, but um, but he liked nature. And this was all about the the uh, golden rod golf fly because my right, brother right, basically right. he cracks open those galls and just eats them. He loves them, right. but. Uh, my brother is, is like a huge fisherman, but he's big into spear fishing, yeah. and he's probably one of the better people oh. in New Jersey in, on at spear fishing. So my bad, I yeah. could have sworn that you phrased that as he's a nature I, guy, not I so probably, much a fisherman. Oh, he's a nature guy he's too, nature but guy. he's he is like huge into, <laughs> into spear fishing, and like if if you don't want to go hungry, be around him because he's always bringing back fish. Fair enough. The yeah. one thing that scares me about Steve is he has no fear. Like he's a yeah. nature guy without fear. Like there's yeah. no like second guessing. Like yeah, yeah. it's you're in fishing in ninety feet of water. And he's like, ah, I think I can go touch the bottom, <laughs> and then yeah. I'll just do it. So yeah, yeah. What kind of snake of is that? Let me pick it up. <laughs> you know, it's like oh. so. But anyway, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy listening to Joe Cermelli from Need Eater. You can hear him weekly on the Bent Podcast. And uh, be sure if you're interested in fishing. Go and watch B-Side Fishing on YouTube. On Instagram, he mentioned it. It's at JoeSermelli138. And uh, also follow that that Meteor account on Instagram as well. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants, Healthy Planet, presented by Pinelands Nursery. We're going to give a huge thank you and shout-out to the Egocentric Plastic Men for contributing our theme music. Things are opening back up. Live music is starting again this fall. So once it does, we're going to uh, post a couple of their dates if you like their music and you want to go uh, see them live in Philadelphia. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. We have our question and comment line. Call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215 215- 
347-436-6189. Ask a question. Leave a comment. If uh, we pick your question or comment, and we will because we play all of them, uh, we'll play it on a future episode of The Buzz, and we will answer it there. And let's not forget about the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. I think we picked up like 50 new members this weekend, so it's been a lot of new interaction, a lot of new people. So proud of everyone, how uh, tolerant and and helpful they have been. So uh, please make sure you keep that going over there. Yeah, you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Planet directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. You can also check us out on Apple Podcasts, uh, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. You can even ask Alexa to play it. When you're there, uh, the biggest thing you can do to help us is leave a five-star review and hit subscribe. That goes a long, long way. Even if it's backhanded and you tell me that I'm a bad interviewer, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's I'm okay with that. <laughs> but, but with that, thank you again, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we'll have another episode for you next week, so make sure you tune in. Yeah. Until then, I'm not sure what it yeah. is because we don't know when this one's airing. But, yeah. <laughs> but it, <laughs> well, it'll be it'll be a buzz regardless. It will be a buzz. And that's true. I meant to say, if you enjoy our buzz episodes, then you and you enjoy fishing, you're gonna like um, like the Ben podcast because that's actually some of our we're very stylistically similar, and we may have taken a couple ideas there. <laughs> yeah, possibly. <laughs> so, so, so <laughs> thank you for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.